But I'd like to welcome everybody that's watching online right now via YouTube or listening to the podcast or via SoundCloud. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I got born again in prison. I was birthed in spiritual warfare. Now, for those of you that don't know my story, don't freak out. I got busted for drugs, going to a Grateful Dead concert, wearing tie-dyes, selling drugs, and eating grilled cheese sandwiches. I was a nonviolent criminal, though really I was violent by the things I was doing and selling, but I was a peace, love, and happiness guy. But when I got to prison, I was at my very end, and it was in prison that I made the decision to surrender everything to the Lord. And when I got born again, I got born again with real hard criminals, people that were getting stabbed at night around me, people that were angry, bitter, and an incredible level of spiritual warfare. It was in prison that I began to lead Bible studies for prisoners because I became a master tutor. I was teaching illiterates how to read. And every day they would ask me to teach them how to read the Bible. My year in prison really became a year-long immersion in God's Word. But at the same time, I had to really learn how to hear God's voice and not walk in fear because fear and spiritual warfare was all around me. I was birthed in that. I didn't get born again coming to a church like this with a band like that and people around us like we have now. I was born again because I was at my end and I was tired of running. I was tired of living for myself. I was tired of beating my head against a wall and I knew that God was bringing me to my very end. And as I've said so many times and I'll say it again, your end is his beginning. And when you finally come to the end of yourself, you find the life you were always destined to live. For me, it just so happened to be in prison. So I say, thank God for prison. Because if it wasn't for that, I'd be dead. I'd still be in prison for life. Or I would have killed somebody else. Who knows what would have happened had God not rescued me by bringing me to the end of myself. And after prison, I went back to Miami, Florida. All I had were all my old friends. I didn't have any church like this or any Christian community. All my old friends were my best friends. We smoked dope together, we partied together, we went to dead shows together, we went to clubs together. We lived that life. These people wrote me every day in my life while I was in, or that whole year, every day while I was in prison. And so when I got out, I hung out with them and I found myself compromising. Here I was, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, fired up, born again, transformed. And next thing you know, I'm at the club, dancing to techno music and getting high again. But the more that I did it, the more conviction set in. And eventually, conviction won out. I couldn't take it anymore. One day, I'd get high as a kite and think that I could storm the gates of hell. The next day, I was hiding under a table in fear. And I'm going to show you why. And I'm going to show you that today, God wants us to be sober-minded because there's a war that's at hand. God has called all of us to fight, and so he raised me in a level of spiritual warfare. When I was in Miami, I found myself actively involved in a lot of different ministries. In the very first church I went to, the pastor's last name was Fluke, and the truth is, is he really was a fluke. He would walk around jiggling keys in his pocket, shaking his hand as he laid hands on people as if it was the Holy Spirit, pushing people over to fall out. Now, in the midst of that, God would show himself to me. God would still use that atmosphere and environment to get me to believe that there was more. I got involved in the worship team, playing congas and percussion in that worship team, and I, I nixed playing in the reggae bands on South Beach. 
in Miami, and I immersed myself fully in that community, and God covered me, but it was dysfunctional. And so I had to learn to hear God's voice. And early on, I was battling for a lot of people's lives and my own, and I had to cut off those old friends so that I could step into the new thing that God had for me. Now today, God's brought those friends back into my life. Some might be watching, and they know that I love them, and I've even been put back in contact with a lot of them because now I'm in a place where I'm not influenced by those things anymore. Now I can love them without succumbing to the drugs and the alcohol and the drunkenness and the things that I used to do. But it took me time to get strong, and some of you need to take more time before you run right back to try to save the people from your old past and your old life. And that's what God had to do for me. He had to prune me. He had to work things out of me. And I did it without a community like this. I had to learn spiritual warfare directly with the Lord. So I constantly have had dreams from the very beginning. Before I got born again, when I was following the Grateful Dead and partying all around South Florida, there were two or three times where I know for a fact I directly encountered Satan. I know what he looks like in human form. I saw him. He appeared to me on several occasions in my darkest place or when I was around some of the darkest things. People were shooting up, dying, tripping on acid, and I'd be in the midst of this world as a young 20-year-old, and suddenly I would see this one man that I knew was the embodiment of pure evil. When I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I took a night watch for prayer, and at 3 o'clock in the morning, I walked out into an area of Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I started bombarding the heavens, and I started praying against spiritual wickedness and principalities in high places. That night, I had a dream, and in the dream, I was fishing in the air, and up in the air, I could see these black silhouettes of giant hooked-winged birds that were flying around in the sky, and I was fishing with my fishing line going up in the sky, and I hooked one, and it ran with my line, and my line was zzzz. All my line was going out of my reel, and I was jumping over intercessors. There was a lot to that. The line came down. Two school buses came and cut the line in half. I believe it was the education I hooked into the spirit principality over the education system. And then I looked to my right and racing over the horizon, I saw that very same person, Satan, come flying over the horizon and landed right next to me, set his face right at me and started to walk towards me. And then I woke up. That next day, I went out to eat with my mom and I ate some bad seafood. My body went into anaphylactic shock. I passed out cold before the ambulance got there. I had to be intubated for 12 hours. I broke all the capillaries in my eyes, and I don't remember anything. I blacked out for 12 straight hours, and I almost died. I actually have a journal from 65 people that visited me in that 12-hour span that wrote how much they loved me and cared about me as if I was going to die. I've always experienced spiritual warfare in my life, and I'm wired for it. And today, I'm going to teach you a little bit about it from a healthy way. What you need to understand is the enemy hates you, and he has a full-time job, not a part-time job, all right? Now, I've always had these dreams of snakes. I dream about snakes a lot. And in these dreams, they're always usually pythons or water snakes, and they're hiding somewhere coming after me. I always seem to see the eyes of the snake. When I moved here and I was pastoring at Victory South Coast before we started Rock City Church, I had a dream where I was fishing under the Humble Channel. The Humble Channel is right down the SPI South Padre Island Drive, uh, right before you get on the JFK Causeway here in Corpus Christi for those that are watching and don't know where it is. And I'm sitting under the Humble Channel, and I'm fishing. And as I looked down, I could see giant trout, huge trout. 
the water was crystal clear and I could see big trout about six, seven feet under the water. And I was so excited. I turned over to hook a lure onto my line and as I turned back, the sun was glistening on the water and shining at just the right angle. And when I looked back into the water, I suddenly saw these giant water snakes that were completely translucent. They were like glass snakes. You could see right through them. So you didn't know that they were there unless the light shined exactly the right way. And it's the light of Christ that illuminates the darkness and the dark areas of our lives or the sneaky, crafty areas that we can't see to show us what we're really dealing with. Well, I got super excited. So I took my lure and I snagged one of these giant snakes in the head. And I remember pulling it up and my rod was bent completely over as I lifted up this seven foot snake that turned into a python. As I pulled it out, I could see all its colors. And I turned around to lay it at the altar of the church I was pastoring then at Victory South Coast. And I laid it down at the altar and I remember its head was this big. And I grabbed a chair from the front row and I started crushing its head with a corner leg of the chair on the front row smashing its head while it's looking and staring at me. And what the Lord showed me was the chair represents government authority and the position that God puts us in to crush the head of the serpent. But it only comes when you live and stay seated in a rested place because you can't fight right if you're not walking in the authority that God's given you and you stay seated. You keep your seat and you stay in a rested, seated position instead of being freaked out, angry, oh, I'm spiritual warfare on all sides, and I'm gonna teach you how to walk in that spiritual power and authority the right way, because that's why y'all are here. We're not out to have nice tingling ear church and play church. This isn't pretend time. This isn't show time. This is go time. Let's everybody say that together. This is go time. And so I crushed the head of that serpent. And what I believe the Lord was showing me was that I was butting up against some very large spiritual things that sought to wreak havoc and had kept that last ministry held and bound. Ultimately, that church would close. I would meet Amber. I would start multiple coffee waves. We'd start Port Aransas together. Ultimately, Flower Bluff together. We'd start Rock City Church together. And that pastor would shut that church down in 2012 right before our daughter was born, and we started Rock City Church. Now, that church today is a Hindu temple. Now, that pastor's walking in redemption, but wound up having an affair, and it all shut down. But this church started with an exodus out of that with 225 people in the fellowship hall of a first Christian church on Santa Fe and Doddridge. Six years ago, <laughs> six years ago. So our church is very young. And so I always have these crazy spiritual warfare dreams like that. And I constantly have those types of dreams with snakes. Now we've experienced some incredible hardship and difficulty in our life. Two hurricanes, jail, I've been married before, but the worst of them all was in August of 2016 when my wife and I lost our daughter at 32 weeks. She was born stillborn. And I remember that night like it was yesterday. We went over to the Hollands' house, Josh and Meredith's house, for, to just retreat. We were so devastated. We had uh, our family came to help with the kids, and we went over there. And I, we were at our darkest hour that we've ever been, the darkest hour we've ever been. We were waiting to have to go back into the hospital to induce labor. It's a horrible thing. 
while the baby was passed away in Amber's tummy. And so I called Brad McClendon. I walked in the backyard as I paced around in my darkest hour. And I called Brad McClendon and I told Brad what was happening and how difficult it was. And I needed him to pray for us. And he said something that was so powerful. He said, look for Jesus. Flip the way that you're thinking and looking right now and keep your eyes open for Jesus. And I went in and told Amber. And we made the decision at that moment that when we walked into that hospital room, the labor and delivery room to have uh, Eden born, that we would worship. We brought our little Bluetooth player. We pray, played the Torwaltz album, Champion, on repeat. We opened up the windows in the morning and let sunlight come in, and we made the decision to worship. And when we got there, in comes the labor and delivery nurse, which is Nathan, our worship leader's wife, Kayla. Kayla's the labor and delivery nurse at Bay Area. And she walks in flowing, this is how I remember it, <laughs> hovering off the ground like she was levitating. She's got a long white flowing gown like the Holy Spirit. And she comes in. She The Holy Spirit came into the room as we worshiped God and we trusted him and God's presence invaded our space because we made the decision to look for him and God brought a family member there at that time who came in to help us in that moment and lay by Amber's bedside and pray in the Holy Spirit the entire time as we worshiped and we trusted God. You see, God wants to teach you to be proactive, not reactive. I don't ever want you to go through crisis and hardship, but sadly it happens in this world. Jesus said even in this world you would have trouble. And so what we chose to do was to build a story in advance. And instead of being reactive in crisis Christianity, we chose to be proactive and to be prayed up in advance and to trust God in advance. And I'm here to tell you today that there's a full-time enemy that wants to get you discouraged, frustrated, beat down, depressed, worried, and hope, hopeless. But God says, seek my face and trust me. Pray in advance. Stay full. Stay in position in advance. Keep your eyes on Jesus the general at all times. And understand that even when it comes your way, you are prayed up, filled up, filled with the Holy Ghost, and ready to tackle whatever comes your way. And that's what I'm here to teach you today. And so we overcame that stronger. Amber's about to release a watercolor book with the, that's dedicated to Eden Grace's life. She's been painting full time. And you guys are going to get to see a dedicated book that came from that story. And it's incredible. She's been working so hard. She's blogged. She's preached. She's actually come out of her shell to become everything that the Lord has called her to be. And it became something that we chose to not let it keep us down, but actually build a story and a testimony out of it. Amen. We've had many, many, many crazy dreams. I told you that I woke up once in the middle of the night and the spirit of death was standing at, at the foot of my bed. And I woke up and I said, oh, it's just you. And I rolled back over and went back to sleep because I know it doesn't have any place in my family or in my life. I have all these crazy dreams. I had a dream last week in the middle of the week where I was raising four people from the dead. Now, for those of you that don't know, one of my greatest desires as far as a natural earthly miracle, really it's supernatural, but as far as a miracle is to raise an actual person from the dead. I've had people, I remember when my neighbor died, a, an older lady in, my, in Tulsa, 
And in the middle of the night, the fire trucks came. I jumped up out of bed and ran outside and I ran over there and I said, what happened? They said, she died in her bathroom. And I said to the paramedic, is it okay if I run in there and pray for her? And he looked at me like I had completely lost my mind. He's like, no, it's not okay if you go in there. My heart was pounding and I was nervous and I walked away going, man, but I still wanted to try. <clears throat> Part of me was like, thank God he said no. I'm just telling you right now. But, but I'm telling you that my desire is to see somebody raised from the dead. Now, spiritually, as ministers and leaders and Christians and pastors, all of you are called to be pastors and shepherds to your family, yourself, your home, your workplace. We are all called to raise somebody from the dead. We're raising people from the dead spiritually. When they're dead to the things of this world and their life, Jesus comes and revives you and breaks you out of the old you and brings you into the new you, amen? So we're all called to raise somebody from the dead. But just last week, I had a dream where I was resurrecting four people that looked just like zombies. Now, I don't watch zombie movies, but they look just like zombies have raised them from the dead. A couple weeks ago, I woke up in the middle of the night. It was 2.22 exactly. It's a very powerful number. I was in a dead sleep. I was laying down, and instantly I opened my eyes, looked at the clock, 2.22, and something was in my room, and it went, and it flew out, and some, it kicked something that went flying across my floor as if somebody had been in the room. Now, I know some of you may think this is crazy, but how many of you had stuff like that happen in your house at night? Look around. There's a whole lot of us, okay? The point is, is that there's a full-time enemy that hates you. Now, I don't know if that was an angel. I wasn't afraid. I think it might have been. They were watching me. As soon as I opened my eyes, and something went flying across the floor, and I knew something had been in my room. I got up. I walked around my house, praying in the Holy Spirit, trusting God, didn't see anything. My hair was standing up on the whole time. I went right back to bed, laid down, and went to sleep. I live in this kind of world. I have busted up demons out of people consistently. I've cast more demons out that just manifest themselves. I'm not even trying to chase out demons. I'm not a demon hunter. I'm just praying for somebody. They're hurting, broken, addicted, bound up, whatever they are. Next thing you know, they get a big grin ear to ear. Their eyes get beady, and they start speaking in this crazy, weird voice, and then they call me out by name because the demons know my name. And when you get born again and you give your life to Jesus, they will know your name too. And they don't drive by your house every few weeks and go, oh, there's the Buenteo family. Yeah. Oh, there's Ram. I haven't seen Ram in a long time. I think I'll attack him today. It doesn't work like that. The enemy works on overtime and he's crafty and he's subtle and he wants to destroy you. He hates you. And so I live in this world of a militant mindset. Really what I call it is uh, the, the mindset of a warrior. And I want to teach you how to be a warrior in the kingdom of God and to fight right. Now look, Jesus is a general, he's also a gardener, and he's also a construction worker, and he's a carpenter. He builds houses, he plants fields, and he's our general that we salute on a daily basis. And so today, we're going to talk about how we rescue people out of mental health and illness through a military expedition, all right? So I'm going to start out with this little story for you. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses leads the Israelites through the Red Sea. How many of you know the Red Sea story? You all should know it, okay? God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. They get hemmed in right at the Red Sea. The, the uh, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his 
hundreds and hundreds of chariots and horsemen. They're hemmed in. They're just about to die. God brings a black giant pillar of cloud to block them in. And then he says to Moses, raise your staff over the sea, and I'm going to part the sea, and you're going to walk through on dry land. So they walk through on dry land, and the, Israel, the Egyptians chase them down, and you all know what happens. God closes up the Red Sea. The Egyptians die, and we pick up at, at um, Exodus 15. The Israelites look back and see the Egyptians slaughtered on the seashore. And you know what the first thing Moses does when he gets into the promised land? The first thing, he sings a song. It's the first thing he did. And in that song, in verse 3, you find this incredible statement. Chapter 15, Exodus 15, verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Moses realized that, look, <laughs> our God can do some serious battle on our behalf. He fights on our behalf. The battle belongs to the Lord. But we must stay in position and learn how to fight the right way. And so he says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. We are all in a battlefield fighting for the hearts and minds of those being held captive by a very real enemy. You know that. We're on a mission to break captives out of the prison cell. Most of us were once held captive, and you got a jailbreak. And if you didn't get your jailbreak, you're going to get a jailbreak today. Amen? So we have to live our lives battle-ready and sober-minded at all times. You have to live your life battle-ready and sober-minded at all times. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober and be vigilant. Why? Why should we stay sober-minded and vigilant? You know what it means to be vigilant? It means it's like diligent. It means I'm always giving haste. I'm always staying focused at the task at hand, and I'm never getting my mind and my eyes off Jesus the general. It's a spiritual reality. Now, for a Sunday morning crowd, this might be a little bit heavy duty for a lot of you, but I just kind of really don't care because I don't get a lot of you on a Wednesday night, which I teach this kind of stuff, and I wear my camo on Wednesday nights a lot. But I got you on a Sunday morning, and you're sitting in these seats, so I'm going to teach you something powerful today, all right? So... Why do we stay sober-minded and vigilant? Look at the scripture. Because our adversary who? The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, he doesn't walk about every so often. He's constantly on the move and he's crafty and he wants to destroy you. So God says that's why drunkenness, getting high, checking out on other things of this world, anything that distracts you from being Christ-centered at all times will kill you. Now, this is a reality not a lot of people will live in. In fact, I oftentimes feel very alone in my level of spiritual intensity and fervency. And when you make the decision to go all in and stay on fire and live in the spiritual reality God calls you to live, guess what? You're going to feel very alone in it too. Now, not if you go to Rock City, because we're all going to be living in that. Amen? But check this out. Jesus, at the height of his career, was alone on a cross, except for two people. Everybody had forsaken him, except for John and his mom. And that's what happens. 
But most people won't live in this world. Do you know why? Because they choose to set their mind on earthly things instead of heavenly things. Let's everybody say this together. Say, I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. And my body, my flesh, does not dictate my spiritual life. I, I know that when Jesus gave his life on the cross, the Bible says, by his stripes, you were healed. Now, do I still have symptoms of asthma? Yes. Do I still take medication for it? Yes. But my confession out of my mouth is I am healed. My confession is what Jesus did on the cross paid the price, and I am fully believing and confessing by faith that I am healed, instead of just saying, well, I'm just going to have to live with it. That's not my reality. My reality is the cross and Jesus, and it's a spiritual reality by faith. So I confess out of my mouth the reality of my healing. I know some of you are on medication for anxiety. I know some of you are on all different kinds of medications for various things. Why don't you start confessing out of your mouth that you are the healed of the Lord, and by his stripes you are healed, Take your medication as the Lord leads you until God says, I have healed you, and you see it fully manifesting in the natural. Well, he's already said he's healed you, but you see the manifestation of it in the natural. So I war for my health. I war for your life. I'm fighting for your life now. And we're fighting for each other's lives. Amen? So the enemy walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so because of that, I stay sober-minded, and I stay vigilant. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. I love this block of scripture. You can't talk about tearing down demonic strongholds that are coming against us constantly without understanding this scripture. So right now, I'm going to give you some very real tools in how we fight with non-carnal weapons. Let's look at the scripture. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And I'm going to explain that to you. Let me break this down for you. Let's go back to the first verse, verse 3. We walk in the flesh but we don't adhere to fleshly human realities. Note it says not according to the flesh, and it says that we war. Every single one of us are engaged in battle. You're either going to fight with spiritual weapons, or you're going to try to fight through this life with carnal weapons. You got one of two choices. You can do it the easy way, or you can do it the hard way. Now, I have learned a lot of lessons the hard way. What I want you to do is take from my lessons and learn them faster. If I tell you the stove's hot, don't touch it. Don't test it. Just don't touch it, all right? And so we walk in the flesh, but the way that I warfare is not according to fleshly human weapons. In fact, next verse says that I have a different kind of weapon, and I'm going to teach you what those weapons are today. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to do what? to pull down strongholds. So these weapons of warfare makes it very clear that one, we're on a military expedition. We don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of my warfare aren't carnal. What's the Lord saying here? 
He's reminding all of us that we are on a military expedition and we're either leading or we're being led. Now, all of us are being led by Jesus, the general. You've got to see Jesus as your captain and as the general. But then God puts earthly authorities like pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers and church leaders and governmental authorities to teach us and lead us into battle, to equip us and train us. You're never going to lead until you learn how to follow. Remember that. The only reason I'm here is because I chose to follow, whether it was good, bad, no matter what it was, I followed many pastors for a lot of years, and I was faithful with another man's until God gave me my own. But you've got to learn to follow and serve and be faithful with another man's before God gives you more and puts you into positions of leadership. And so we're on a military expedition as either commanders or soldiers to war and battle. All of us are called to active military duty. You're all called to active military duty. In the kingdom of God, when you give your life to Jesus, you sign up, you enlist. So you are enlisted if you're born again. If you're not born again, we're going to enlist you so that you can stop getting your hiney kicked by the enemy and your own bad choices over and over and over again so we can see you get free and live the life you were always intended to live. Amen? Come on, guys. Let's get some fire going on in here. I'm about to show you something's going to rock you. So not with carnal weapons. Everybody say, not with carnal weapons. But these weapons are mighty. They are mighty with God. Go back a verse. Verse 4. They are mighty in God, and they're not earthly carnal weapons. Amen? Now let me give you guys a whole list. If you're taking notes, you may want to write these things down. The first thing is, I think that one of our greatest weapons, of course, is a life of faith. Because faith is the opposite of doubt. Everything that God says, the devil will always put a question mark on it. God made a promise to you, your family, your grandbaby, and God says, I'm going to do what I said I do, and the devil comes along to put a question mark on it. The devil will always put a, a question mark where God has put a period. God says, I'm going to do this period. Here comes the enemy say, well, did God really say the enemy's very crafty and he'll try to get you out of faith. In fact, the Bible says we, the just live their lives by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is, let's all say it together, now faith is, and it's the, it's the evidence of things hoped for, it's the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. So faith is two things. It's a substance, something that I can touch, and it's an evidence that confirms. Faith is not an I hope so, it's an I know so. And so when you live in confident faith, you don't have doubt. Now, Jesus helps you in your doubt and disbelief, and he'll help grow you through it. But as you mature and you get stronger, you get confident in your faith instead of living a life of doubt. Here's why the enemy wants you to doubt. Because James 1 says, if anybody doubts, let him not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. Because God wants us to trust him. God wants us to have confident faith. Just like that night when we were going to the hospital and Brad says, look for Jesus. And I said, I will. And we walked him God's presence in that room. He came. And if you ask Amber to say, she shared it on her blog, edengrace.life. She shared the story. The, the, the blog is called Silver Lining. And she shared what happened to her from her experience when the presence of God infiltrated that labor and delivery room in the middle of the night. It wasn't, and I hope so, it was an I know so. So faith is one of your greatest weapons to, in how you live to destroy the works of the enemy. The next thing is 
renewed minds. You've got to have a renewed mind every day, and it's under the headship of the mind of Christ. I have to choose to think and process what God's word says his way every day, because there's always a liar and an accuser that's trying to get me off track in my mind mentally. And so you renew your mind every day, and you walk in the mind of Christ. God's word is one of your greatest weapons. In fact, the Bible says, check this out, that the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, the armor of God, which by the way, if there wasn't a war, you don't have a need for an armor. Do you understand that? People say, well, the war's over. No, the war's not over. Jesus defeated the enemy. Now he's a defeated foe and he wants to get you to fight right. You know how I fight right? I stay rested, confident in my governmental authority, and I don't open the door to the enemy. He doesn't live in my house. I keep the door shut, okay? And so the sword of the Spirit, check this out. The Bible says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit fights with His Word. And where does the Holy Spirit live in you? Well, where does He live? He lives in you, right? So who's really fighting? Me or the Holy Spirit? And what am I really fighting with? My own tools or God's sword? What do I have to do? Rest. Keep the door shut. Learn God's word so I have, because the Holy Spirit's reminding me God's word. So what the Holy Spirit does is when the enemy comes to lie to me or accuse me, I counter with the truth and the life, which actually destroys him. And now I'm rested because the Holy Spirit's fighting with his word on my behalf because he lives in me. Some of you are in so much spiritual warfare and you're so freaked out and you're so beat up and you're so beat down and the enemy's getting the best of you. And I hear people say this, well, I'm just wrestling with my demons. I got a newsflash for you. Get rid of your pet demons. Don't have them in your life anymore and start living upright before the Lord. Amen. Yeah. So the next thing is prayer. You know what prayer really is? Prayer is constant communion with God. Prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. Prayer is hearing God's voice. So now I'm being comforted by God's word when I'm battling doubt, fear, worry, discouragement, or dismay. So I'm constantly hearing his voice and I'm trusting in his word. Some of you say, well, I don't feel like God's talking to me. I got a great newsflash for you. If you want to hear God talk to you, here's 66 love letters that will tell you everything you need to know because God will breathe on top of his word. You won't know what God is saying from heaven until you know what he said. And sadly, only 17% of Christians read their Bible. Let's change that at Rock City Church and make it 100%. You guys are called to live more. You guys are called to walk in more. This isn't play good, feel good, tickle my ear. This is an army and people are dying. It's in the news every day. And every day I see all these horrible stories in the news. Horrible stories. And I see chaos in the White House. And by the way, side note, I pray for President Trump every day, just like I prayed for President Obama. And I believe that God puts people in authority, and I will support anybody that fights against abortion. And if they're not against abortion, they don't get my vote, and they shouldn't get yours. As Christians, we never vote against uh, uh, for anybody that is for abortion ever. That's my number one deciding factor in who I vote for, just so that you know. And I'm thankful we have a pro-life 
president in the White House that fights against abortion, which is the killing of babies every day. Amen. I just thought I'd say that. I'll make somebody mad. I get it. Nueces County is the, one of the top Democratic counties in the state of Texas. Let me just tell you, Jesus wasn't Democrat and he wasn't Republican. Jesus fought for life. And I'm going to choose to use my vote, whoever it's for, as long as they make the stand against the killing of babies and abortion. That's what I'm going to do. I don't know how I got on that. So the point I'm trying to make for you is, is prayer, is that I'm in constant communion with the Lord of how to navigate those things I read online. I read horrible atrocities in the news. Horrible. Some of you just choose to turn off the news, and I'm proud of you. But don't be naive to what's happening or listen to the voices of the enemy or even your neighbor, because a lot of people aren't voting or believing right. But when I see those horrible atrocities, you know what I say? Thank God for Rock City. Thank God for Jesus. Because I'm not hopeless and destitute. In fact, God tags me and says, you're my hands and feet and you're my mouthpiece. You're the light of the world. Now go rescue somebody. That's what we're called to do. We're on a mission. Amen. So God gives us the full armor of God. These are weapons of your warfare. Let me tell you, walking in the spirit is so beautiful. I believe it's the highest form of Christian maturity is walking in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, the highest form is not sinning. No, it's not. You say, well, the highest form is walk is love. No, it's not. The highest form is staying in step with the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because guess what the number one gift of the Spirit, I'm sorry, fruit of the Spirit is? Love. And so fruit of love is grown by walking with the Holy Spirit. Love is not a gift, it's a fruit. And it has to be grown. And you have to learn how to love and be loved. And I can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Amen? Are you guys even fired up today? Because I'm just getting started. You better hang on to your seat. Yeah! My, some of my other greatest weapons of warfare is worship. Let me just tell you all something right now. You will never ever engage in warfare properly until you worship. Real warriors worship. And real worship looks like something, like today. The worship we had today was straight fire. The Holy Spirit was moving in power. And I didn't care what you thought about me. I didn't care how I looked. I don't care what you think about my camo hat or pants. I don't really care anymore because I'm going to be true to myself and be extravagant. David was extravagant. Can you imagine the king of Israel marching into Jerusalem with tambourine players, cymbals, and people dancing wildly? And then his wife is sitting up in the, in the palace looking down on him saying, having just disdain and apathy for her husband, and then says to him, How, what kind of king are you? You should be ashamed of yourself dancing like that. You know what David said? If you thought that was something, I'll be even more undignified than this. You need to lose your image. You need to stop caring about what anybody else thinks because real warriors worship and real worship looks like something. And when you sing and when you shout and when you engage in warfare spiritually through worship, it drives back the lies and the deception and the demonic principalities in this atmosphere. Amen. So David's dancing wildly as the presence of God's brought into Jerusalem. And what happens? All his clothes come off except for one piece of clothing. 
the linen ephod. And what God says to you and to me is everything done and hidden will be revealed in public. And what we saw from David was he got fully exposed for who he really was. And guess who he was? He wasn't a shyster, a scammer, a liar, or a deceiver. He was a worshiper. And now what he did in private, a man after God's own heart in the tabernacle of David, worshiping and crying out and scribes writing down the Psalms. Now when he stepped out into the public, community. As he went into the temple with the presence of God, his clothes came off except for his linen. He fought as he twirled and left and danced. And in the natural, you'd think he was a crazy man, but he didn't care because he was living a spiritual reality. And that's the life you're called to live. You cannot afford to not worship. Stop worrying about what other people think or say. This is a worshiping church. We're loud, we're aggressive, we pray in tongues, we're spirit-filled, and it is what it is. Some people won't like that, and they'll leave. But if you're staying here, you are getting lit up and fired up to fight these battles. And I don't have to hold your hand every step of the way. You know why? Because Jesus and the Father is going to hold your hand. I'm going to show it to you here in just a moment. Amen? So worship, worship is so powerful. Being spiritually disciplined, keeping the door shut shut. The blood of Jesus is one of your greatest weapons against the enemy. We overcome, Revelations 12, 11, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So your testimony is a powerful weapon against the enemy. Start telling somebody what God has done for you. Start opening your mouth or typing on Facebook a testimony instead of bickering and fighting and being, being divisive. Share your story because your testimony is powerful. What God did to you in your testing, you overcame, and now you get to share the greatness of who he is, and it drives the enemy back. Amen? So we're talking about weapons of warfare, and let me just tell you right now, one of the greatest weapons of your warfare that I use the most every day is praying in tongues. The Bible says in Jude 20 to build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. So I'm cruising down the the highway on my motorcycle, and I'm I'm in the shower in the morning. I'm I'm prepping for this message. I'm And I know some of you are like, whoa, tongues, I don't pray in tongues. Let me just tell you, God wants all of you to pray in tongues, and I can show it to you. Here's why. Romans chapter 8, verse 25 and 26. These aren't in my notes, so you don't have to pull them up. Romans 8, 25 and 26 says that the Holy Spirit helps us or aids us in our infirmities or our weaknesses. And what he does is he intercedes on our behalf in our spirit. So when I pray in tongues, I'm praying the heartbeat and the mind of God together with the Holy Spirit. God wants all of you to pray in the spirit. And the reason why most people don't or struggle with it is because it's offensive to your mind. Praying in tongues is offensive to your mind. As soon as I start praying, my mind is like, it doesn't make any sense. And do you know that 1 Corinthians 14 says that when I pray in the Spirit, my mind is unfruitful? Do you know that if you go into the psych ward, they have a, a uh, therapy that they do. It's called electroshock therapy. You know what electroshock therapy does for somebody that's really suicidal and crazy and manic depressive? They shock them. And God says, I'm going to one-up man's therapy. I got a shock therapy for you. You can look it up on YouTube. Praying in tongues makes it flatline in their mind. There's no picking up because I'm not praying in my mind. I'm praying in the spirit. And what it does is it gives my mind a reset. 
and it puts me in line with the Holy Spirit. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be effective in the more that God has for you or fight the enemy with a water pistol. You need a spiritual AK-47. And so when I got doubt and disbelief and lies and worry and fear coming against me and pressures of my businesses and money and all this stuff coming against me, I'm like, and they're piling down because I don't know how to pray as I ought to, but the Holy Spirit's praying for me and I'm praying the mysteries of God and I'm building myself up. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse two and verse four. I understand the power. It's one of my greatest weapons. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Actually, verse 14, verse 1. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And some of you are like, well, I don't pray in tongues, but you have no desire to. You're saying, well, if it happens, it happens. There's no such thing as a laissez-faire Christianity. You need to get fired up and get aggressive because the enemy will be more aggressive against you. Do you understand? I'm, I'm, this isn't play t- it's about your money. It's not about you continue to fill the chairs in this seat. Me growing a big church. I don't have to have the money. I could go full on into the coffee business and make a lot more than being a pastor. Do you understand? I'm out to see your marriage restored. I'm out to see you two grow mightily and be the warriors and use the testimony that God has given you to drive back the enemy. I'm out to see you be confident and speak boldly and loudly and go into those rehabs and rescue the captives and even those that are in the psych ward. That's what I'm out to see because we're on a mission. Let's everybody say I'm on a mission. This isn't playtime. This is go time. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's for every one of you. I love all y'all, all y'all. Every one of y'all. The plural of all y'all. I love y'all. You don't understand. You got to get out of your mind and into the spirit. We live in a spiritual reality. Let's say this. I am a spirit. I have a soul and I live in a body. And though what my outward man perishes, say it. I'm renewed in the inner man day by day by day by day. I'm not moved by an ache in my back. I'm not, I'm getting a little older. My back's hurting. I wrestled and pulled vault and my neck is hurting. I'm telling my kids, I wrestle with my kids and my throat crick in my neck for four days. I'm telling you, I know what it's like and I'm only 48. And some of you are like, well, just wait. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to fight this thing and confess. But no matter what my body says, no matter what my body says, this is an earthly tent I'm going to shed. I am going to walk in the spirit because I'm a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. I am an eternal being. You know that the Bible says your citizenship isn't even on earth. It's in heaven. Do you know that? When will we start living as citizens of heaven? When do we stop living as citizens of earth? When we die? Just when Jesus comes back? No. Our citizenship is there not here. There now. Do you got that? I'm just getting started. You better get ready. I'm telling you what, I don't care what that clock says today. So you got to pray in tongues and you got to get aggressive. If you need a teaching on it, go on to the podcast and look up Supernormal Natural Wednesday night with me teaching, and it's all about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I did an exhaustive teaching over 20 scriptures that fulfill the understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues. You say, well, somebody's going to persecute you and say, you go to that tongue-talking church? Yeah, would you like to hear me talk in tongues? Well, I just think that's demonic and weird. Well, then you don't know your Bible. 
Come on, guys. I'm, I want you fired up, but I want you to understand that we are on a mission and God's given us every tool to do what? Let me show you what these tools are do, to do. First thing is pull down a stronghold. Okay, what kind of stronghold? I'm gonna show you in a minute. Next verse. Casting down arguments and high things that exalt themselves against you knowing God. Not just being born again one time and calling yourself a Christian, but God has everyday daily bread and a spirit of wisdom and revelation to give you. Every day God wants to talk to you and hear you. He's got, a, he's got so much revelation to show you and teach you and grow you and love you. And every day it's like this. It's like being on the offensive team. And I'm a, I am a, oh gosh. It's the guy that catches the ball. The receiver, duh. <laughs> I was a receiver when I was here, but you know, I'm preached, I forgot that. So I'm a receiver and the quarterback wants to throw me a ball, but defense is trying to block the pass. Every day, the enemy works to block the pass of revelation, the knowledge of God coming into your brain. And so the warfare that we have is against an enemy that wants to block you from knowing God. So what does he do? He argues with you. And he gets you to argue the truths of God. If he can get you doubting, if he can get you arguing the truths, notice what it does, casting down arguments and high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And there's always going to be earthly, intellectual, high things that get you to doubt. I read a story about the two teenagers that were swimming down in Florida, and they got sucked out to sea. They're two Christians that go to a Christian school, high schoolers in the news right now. They get sucked out to sea, and they start crying out to Jesus. They're treading water. It's just about to get dark. And like, Jesus, please save us, God. Save us, God. And out of the blue, out of nowhere, comes a boat. And the name of the boat is Amen. And the captain is Christian. It's in the news right now. In fact, they got interviewed by Fox News today or yesterday. Then they're like, two Christian students attribute God to saving their life. I'm like, duh. We live in that world every day. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, he did. That's what he does. But then the devil comes along and says, yeah, but what about the two that didn't? What about this? What about that? The devil always puts a question mark where God puts a period. Stop listening to the doubts and the lies and the arguments. Get out of your intellectual head and have an experience, right? Because it'll change your life. That's why our faith is experiential based, not logic and reason and intellect. And it doesn't mean I throw logic, reason, and intellect out, but it means that my intellect is submitted to the headship of Christ. Amen? Amen. So we're casting down arguments. We're casting down strongholds. We cast down every high thing that wants to keep you back from knowing God more. And what we do is we bring our thought life into the obedience and captivity. So now I'm held captive. I'm a prisoner. Do you know that? But now instead of a slave or a prisoner to the world and my old self, I'm a prisoner of love. And it's way better than the Dawkins song, let me just tell you right now, for you 80s guys. I'm a real prisoner of love. And I'm a bond servant to the king of kings. And my mind is captive. My thought life is the mindset of Christ, not the things of this world. You've got to break the lies and the fear and the deception. And let me tell you one of the most powerful things is I walk in obedience to Christ in how I think. Look at the last part of the scripture, bringing every thought into the obedience and captivity of Christ, right? Can you live like this? Yes, you can do it. Come on, guys. We are called, we are not of this world. 
This world is not my home. Now, am I in it? Yes. Do I love people? Yes. Do I walk around talking weird Christianese all the time? No. Am I in the marketplace making money and doing things? You better believe. But I'm a representation of Jesus Christ on earth. And so are you. Now, here's a powerful word. Next verse. When you come to the place of being fully obedient to the things of God and start walking like I'm teaching you, you actually punish your past. Everybody say, I'm going to punish my past. So here's how this works. When my obedience is fulfilled, all the lies, everything the enemy wants to define you by, all your failures, all your mistakes, all the shame, all the things you did for 11 years, all the stuff that happened in your life, all the things you bombed and blew up, you will actually punish it. You know how I punish it? Because I'm not that guy anymore. And it doesn't have a hook in me anymore. And I have no shame anymore. And now I crush my past by the way that I live today. And so, so many of you have got to get out of living in your past. And you know how you do it? Just be obedient to Jesus the general. I salute you, Jesus. I got my eyes on you. I'm going to spend time in your word. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to grow. I'm going to learn. I'm going to worship. And I'm going to become that super spiritual guy, even if it feels like I'm alone and nobody else is with me, because you will feel that way. I feel that way. And trust me, Jesus felt that way. Jesus felt very, 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 very alone. And that happens sometimes. But I don't care. I'm going to live more intense, more on fire, louder, bolder, confident, because there's a mission and people broken and hurting and dying. Every 16 minutes somebody's committing suicide. Over 50,000 people will die to an opioid epidemic this year alone. And they're my neighbor. They're my friends. They're people that live right down the street. So we're going to crush the past. Amen. Now the unrenewed mind always sets itself up against the knowledge of God and actually takes counsel in itself. That's why you have to renew your mind. But if your mind's not renewed, it leads to sorrow and the enemy exalts himself over you. Look at this scripture in Psalm 13 too. This is a powerful word. If you are counseling yourself and not having the Holy Spirit counsel you, you will have sorrow every day. And then guess what happens? An enemy will exalt itself over you. You're either eating from the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not only did the tree of the knowledge of good and evil poison all humanity that we rescue people out of, but even Christians are still eating from the intellectual tree of trying to be good. So let's all say this together like we've said a thousand times. And for those of you riding in your car or listening at home, say this with me. Say, God doesn't want me to be good. He wants me to be spiritual which means I eat from the tree of life because in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it makes me intellectual and I'm trying to be good in my own strength. That's man-made religion. And you can't live like that until you know who you are as a son and daughter and have encounters and experiences and get filled with the spirit daily. Ephesians 5.18, you're not just filled once six years ago. You're staying full all the time. I'm fully furnished, overflowing. I'm sopped and saturated in water and the presence of God. I am crammed to max capacity. Just get around me and what do you, ask me a question about anything spiritual, please. Please, I'm begging you ask me something. Because I got something to say at all times. Do you understand? So we're fully furnished and equipped instead of sorrow in our heart daily and an enemy because the enemy works in you counseling yourself. It's the unrenewed mind. 
Do you see it? So we eat from the tree of life every day. Jesus, I'm eating from you. You're my daily bread. You are the bread of life. Every day, I'm eating from Jesus. Jesus made this crazy statement. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. And 500 of his disciples left him that day. They thought he was being a cannibal. What he was really saying was, I'm the bread of life and the living water. If you want to never thirst again and you want to be fully satisfied, eat of me and drink from me. Let my blood wash you and cover you and transform you. Stop living in your past. You bombed it, you blew it. Get it in the light. You had an affair, get it in the light. You blew it bad, get it in the light. You can't carry that shame around anymore. You gotta get it into the light. And if you don't know how to do it, get with a leader here and we'll help you do it. Get with somebody that you can trust. You can't carry that weight and that shame around because the enemy will bring sorrow into your life every day. So I'm gonna skip a large portion of my message this morning and I'm gonna just keep going. I'll give you just a few quick things and I'll rapid fire you and then we'll pray. First thing is, there is a thief. Everybody say, there is a thief. John 10, 10, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give you abundant life. The next thing is, we're in a war. Everybody say, I'm in a war. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, to endure hardship as a good soldier. But as soon as hardship comes your way, some of you want to throw in the towel and give up. And you're like, oh, the devil, he's got me. It's so hard. It's too hard. It's not too hard. Look, endure hardship, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, as a good soldier. That's what that scripture says. It means that I'm in a war and I have a general and I can endure hardship. I endured that night with my wife. We endured together and we showed the enemy that he can't have any root in our life, even in the midst of crisis. And now Eden's life became a seed that birthed into more promise. Wait till you see the watercolor book that's going to be coming out. It's going to be incredible. And we're dedicated to carrying the legacy. Endure hardship as a good soldier. Verse 4 says, break the entanglement of the world system, guys. You can't fight right if you're hooked into the world system. Look at the scripture. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a good soldier. Let me tell you what this scripture doesn't mean. It doesn't mean if I break the entanglement of the world, I'll please God or I'll please Jesus. It's not what it means. What it means is, Get rid of being so distracted so that you can spend time with him in intimacy and relationship because that's what he really wants. Not behavior modification. He's saying the, the cares and the affairs of this world, money, pressures, work, business, all the stuff, anything in this world that tries to entangle you is become, becomes a distraction that keeps you from the main thing. The main thing is intimacy with Jesus, and that pleases him, spending time listening, loving, worshiping, and engaging with him on a daily basis. Amen? It's a powerful, powerful scripture. And so I'm going to close with this scripture. When Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, there was a whole generation that didn't know how to fight. Everybody 20 and older had been wiped out except for Caleb and and, Joshua. Joshua. And so they get into the promised land and Joshua dies. And then we pick up here, Judges chapter 2, verse 21. 
I'm not going to drive out the nations before you any longer, which Joshua left when he died. So that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Do you know that the Lord still allows us to be tested today? Testing creates a testimony. Do you understand? Testing creates a testimony. And so testing is designed to reveal what's really in us, to overcome and be obedient. And so the Lord said, I'm going to leave the enemies there to test the nation of Israel. Judges chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is all who had not known any of the wars of Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know what? At least those who had not formerly known it. And so what happens is, is every generation from then until now, God wants us to teach our children the great things that God has done, but he also wants to teach them how to overcome personally because God is in the overcoming. Your temptation comes, your dark hours come. God says, when you overcome it, you're going to grow stronger, healthier, and you're going to see how much I have for you and how great I love you. And so God comes to test us or allows us to be tested to see if we'll be obedient Now, he doesn't lead you into temptation, but he delivers you out of the temptation. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer here in just a moment. So he wanted the children to learn war, and he wants each of us to learn how to fight right. Now, I don't fight with a knife or a gun unless I'm in the military uh, on a tour of duty. But right now, I'm in a military here at home on a tour of duty spiritually. And so I'm fighting with spiritual weapons. And so Isaiah 42, verse 6. Isaiah 42, the whole chapter is a promise for this church and for our city. This church, way back in the day, started from a church called Church on the Rock. Then it was the um, cruises that started it, Church on the Rock. Then it became Covenant City. Then it became South Coast. Then it became Victory South Coast. And then it shut down and Rock City started with a remnant of 225 people from all those churches. Okay? Nancy Durham messaged me a while back of a picture of her Bible in Isaiah 42, who was there from the very beginning. And she said this was a promise, and she wrote it in her promise for the coastlands, a promise for the people, the inhabitants that live by the sea. And this is a word for our church that we're to stand on. And here's the scripture. It's the father talking to Jesus, and it's subtitled the faithful servant. And here's what the father says. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. And then we'll jump to verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them. Verse 12, let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, he will shout aloud and he will prevail against his enemies. Leave that up on the screen. Just as the father held Jesus' hand, he's going to hold your hand. He's Jesus the general, and the battle's already been won, but there are lives that don't know it that are being held captive by the enemy. 
And God says to the son, I've got a covenant people for you. Everybody say, I'm a covenant people. So we were given to Jesus as a reward. That's what the Bible says. He rescued and ransomed us and made us a covenant people. And God held Jesus' hand into battle. And what he said was, sing, you inhabitants and you coastlands. Sing and give praise. Go back to verse 10. Sing and praise the Lord from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea. That's why it's so important that we sing. That's why it's so important that we worship. And it's not something I just do when I come here. I live in a life of worship and singing and trusting him. And then finally, that verse 12 says that the Lord is a mighty man. The Lord is a man of war. Forgot where that was. Anyway, the Lord is a man of war. And he says he will shout, he will cry out, and he will drive out the inhabitants of the land. And that's why shouting and crying out, you see the scripture there, He'll go down and see an old Senate, you coastlands. I forget where it was. There it is, verse 18. Oh, it was verse 13. Oh, that's a great scripture. The Lord goes forth like a mighty man and he'll stir up his zeal like a man of war. He'll cry out, he'll shout, and he'll prevail against the enemies. And I just want to say to you, it's time to cry out. It's time to shout. Don't be silent. It's not a personality thing. Let's let out a shout to the Lord this morning. Let's cry out. Let's sing. And let's let the Lord go before us to fight our battles. Amen? Let's all stand.